Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm excited to have Mitch, the co-founder of Built Oregon on today. Mitch, great to see you virtually and thanks for being on. Thanks, Dan, for inviting me. So, you know, I know a lot of folks know about Built and some of your work, but I would love for you to start off and just, you know, give us a little background about yourself, but, you know, how Built got started and what you do as well. Yep. So, I'll give you kind of a long story short. Started a hiking mountain biking tour company in Arizona. Um, it was like my first real company out of college. We were 22 years old, and you know, it was we took on investors. I had a falling out with the investors, and it was like my first entrepreneurial like get like experience. Right. That kind of like triggered this entrepreneurial mindset, which led me to start another branding agency. Hmm. That's when I moved up to Oregon. Okay. And so how I got involved in built was I was just trying to find work. And so I went to Portland ad fed, Oregon entrepreneurs network, like everybody. And OEN really kind of was the one that captured me because the entrepreneurs and stuff like that, like I'd love seeing diversity and the crazy ideas and the passion and stuff like that. So I ended up volunteering with OEN for 10 years. I was board chair for two years. Okay. And a lot of that came out of, a bill kind of came out of OEN. So a lot of what I was seeing, I had mentors in OEN who kind of focused me on consumer products. So pair outdoor footwear, food and beverage, like anything like that. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like, because everybody, because everybody was, everybody was, everybody was in that. They grow fast, like all of that stuff. And I was too. Yeah. And they're like, we're yeah. just a, we're a state of makers. And so like, that's how kind of built started was, I kind of reached out to Rick and Terry and said, Hey, let's do a Kickstarter and tar- start telling stories about like the makers around the state. Um, go ahead. Yeah. And that was, gonna say, yeah, so that was what gonna year, say, what year would have been? I think that was 2015. Okay. So yeah, not, not too long ago. Not too long ago. Yeah. And so we, we ended up raising $35,000 on Kickstarter. Um, Never really paid ourselves, really have paid ourselves very little to do any of this stuff overall. Um, we did that for two years. And I think we ended up writing 80 stories. We did like 30 podcasts, mm-hmm. multiple events. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we were like, what do we do? Like, this is like a media company that we don't care about page views or yeah. like it's really hard to sell ads. So yeah. <laughs> we looked into a nonprofit with the core focus being consumer products. Okay. And it was kind of launched around the idea that we're the Silicon Valley of consumer products. 
You were so unique that way. And I, and I think you also have an accelerator part, right? Can yes. you explain that and how that works? Because it is unique that you're a nonprofit. So the model is totally different than traditional accelerators. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. So how we ended up with the accelerator. So we kind of launched with the festival first. So that was like a week-long bill festival, bringing consumer products together. That led into a program called Bridges, which helps entrepreneurs of color get on retail shelves. Okay. Um, partnerships with New Seasons, Market of Choice, Green Zebra, and Tender Loving Empire. Awesome. And Rick, who's my co-founder, ran Pi, still runs Pi. So he's run accelerators forever. Mm-hmm. So we always talked about doing a consumer product accelerator. And we did the first one last year, but it was only after I kind of like built up the relationships with enough mentors, I think I gave myself 50 mentors. I had to have 50 mentors signed up before we launched the program. And so once we had 50 mentors signed up, we put the applications up and we ran it a little different than a lot of accelerators because you had to have 150,000 in revenue um, instead of, so you hadn't, it wasn't just idea. It wasn't concept stage. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with companies with 150,000 up to like 1.5 million. Okay. So I had some market, the product market fit already had a little bit of traction and you didn't take, I mean, just, I, I know the accelerated models all over the place a little bit, but did you take a, <laughs> like a percentage or what was the model for you or how does that work or not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got, we did, we were lucky. We got somebody from Oregon community foundation. to run okay. the Cool. Um, but this was, this goes back to kind of like the anti-normal playbook that we're trying to follow is, all of these companies, especially early on, have no revenue or no profitability. Um, they shouldn't be taking cap hits for equity for going through a three-month program, which most accelerator programs, because there's always the carrot at the end is you can meet investors. And so, sure, we, we've set that out front. You're not, there's no investor pitches. There's nothing. We're not taking equity. It doesn't cost anything. How did the first cohort go? It was good. It was a learning process for all of us. Okay. We ended up, um, like we didn't have a curriculum set up. We kind of worked with them. Like we, we listened, we figured out kind of the major gaps and it was super mentor focused. Yeah. So we ended up having like, we have 150 mentors signed up now to help the companies. So as they were going through certain problems, we would connect them with mentors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Going forward, what we learned out of that whole program is now the basis for what we'll do going forward, which is really a focus on three key buckets, which are financials, number one. Um, Then once you know your financials, what sales channels make the most sense for you? Then once you know your sales channels, how does your branding align with those sales channels? And then, you know, what I want to get deep into you as a community kind of community organizer and I don't know Rick but I of course know who he is and re- <laughs> read the the blog and all that and you put yourself at the center and for you personally your your motivation is not like to get to get uh, equity or necessarily like you know take fees from them but that's uh it's so I think so unique to Portland that that's the way you do it. So how, how has that been that model, like just the sustainability for you and Rick and the other 150, you know, plus mentors in this community been? Yeah. I mean, what's the mentors are, they probably have jobs. Yeah. Fully mentors from experienced companies Mm -hmm. um, to help with the next generation, the community standpoint, like it's always been kind of my 
belief that you have to build trust and relationships first, that you can't ask people to support you before you've actually put the work in to do something good. And so I think Rick and I are very similar in that way. Um, and he works, he runs programs through Pi still. Um, but the idea was you have to put in more than you get out. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the startup mentality is extraction. Like, come join us. We're killing it. We're hyped. We have the highest valuations. You're going to exit for 10x. And, and it, that's just not the reality. Yeah. So we never wanted to play that game. Well, and in another reason I was telling you before we started recording, I reached out to you because I read a post where, again, I'm going to mess up this title, but it was the mythology of startup success has to change or something like that. <laughs> so can you tell a little bit about, you know, why you wrote that and more about the, the content in that post? Because it really resonated with me. And I think it resonated with a lot of people here that have small businesses and wanting to start companies. Yeah, I think the the unfortunate part of kind of, you know, and I love the tech ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I, I have lots of friends there. Rick still kind of does a ton of work there. But I think what that has happened over 10 years is from the tech crunches to, you know, the Silicon Valley shows to who's made what exit, like that idea of I'm going to start a company and I'm going to sell in five years has trickled down to every kind of founder's mindset. So they might be making $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year, and somehow they're trying to pitch money and, and basically lie. Like there's no other way to say it. Like if you, if your revenue is $200,000, $300,000 and you're giving a pitch deck that says you're going to exit in five to seven years for 10 X at 10 to 20 million, like you're lying. Like nobody knows this. So like what it does is they get this money and it puts undue stress on them mm. to hit like that expected goal which they grow too fast. They're still not paying themselves. And from our standpoint, um, from consumer products, it's even harder. Like it takes forever to kind of grow a consumer product company. I mean, yeah. And I mean, you're getting essentially with that post was, you know, you gave out a few, I think things, um, almost like events was one and just almost giving the space to say, it's okay not to say you want to exit for $10 million. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, and you don't have $50,000 of revenue in three years, right? It's okay. Like to give the space to say, it's okay. And to say, maybe this is a, a quote unquote lifestyle business. That's not a negative thing necessarily. If you can afford to pay living wages to people. So right. for sure. And I think that's kind of the mindset. Like this is why what gravitated me, gravitated me towards consumer products is you look at like Reezers or Tofurky or any of these brands that are a hundred million to a billion dollars in the States really didn't follow that path. They just built really good companies to provide jobs. Right. And ultimately that's the core of the economy, not trying to ride the unicorn wave and hoping that you're going to have somehow a hundred giant companies because Oregon's not the Bay area or Seattle. Like it never will be. And they're too far ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no better time than now to, to kind of show how our economy is so reliant on these small businesses. Right. So I, and I, I know built is doing like a lot of it, um, information, virtual sessions to help small businesses during this time of, you know, it's currently end of April, 2020. So how's that been for you as someone who's in the center of all that and talking to small business owners and founders constantly, like, what you read. <laughs> it's been tough. Like I, you know, 
saw a tweet the other day that encapsulated it was like March felt like six years and April felt like six minutes, Mm. like in a weird way. Like it's just companies are just struggling and this never happened where it just shuts down. And so the mindset really for us was this is just phase one. Like the first two months is like, stop the bleeding. Like everybody's trying to get whatever money they can from the PPP SBA and all that stuff. But ultimately this is a 12 to 18 month recovery before sales get back up. So if companies are going to lose 15 to 30 to 40% revenue over the next eight to 12 to 18 months, how do they survive? And if they can't survive, how do you kind of triage with empathy and help companies that aren't going to make it wind down in the best way and and kind of be there for those founders to say, you're not a failure. Like, Like it's okay that you had to shut this down. Like you're going to come back and be stronger. Yeah. Gosh, that is so important. I was just talking to a friend he, he, who manages corporate real estate and a lot of their tenants, you know, they're having struggling making their, their yeah. rent. And, and it, his perspective was kind of like, geez, we're going to see a lot of these we're offering, you know, incentives, deferments, but ultimately companies are going to have to make the decision whether it's, they fold and like you said doing it in a way that is with empathy is uh, we'll see that play out in probably the next two or three months right yeah yeah i think it's <clears throat> covid has kind of laid bare a lot of the the things that some of us who have been in small business forever knew like even more so like the country just walks a tightrope and then the economy is always like rested on the stock market or big wins or something like that when small business is what drives and supports the economy throughout the States. And so something like this happens and you realize maybe we weren't actually doing enough, all of us to support the small business in in the best way possible because everybody is struggling and running out of money that that shows they have like four weeks cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some of the, it's positive things. <laughs> They'll come out of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate, I know it has a crystal ball. I've always been, I've been saying that, but what are some things that maybe the city of Portland can do in the metro area uh, and Oregon can do to coming out of this will, will help these small businesses? Yeah. I mean, ult- ultimately I think there just needs to be a reset, like in some kind of reflection, mm. which is really hard for, like some of us in community management or community organizers, like we're used to saying we screwed up. Like we didn't do this well enough and it's okay to be honest. But I think from top down levels, I think now is the time to say, you know what? I think going forward, we have to create more resilient communities and creating more resilient communities means focusing on the foundations of the state. And by focusing on the foundations of the state, that means small business from rural to communities of color to whatever. Yeah. And I think that we fell down a lot in the past five years when the economy was going great because all of us would just be trumpeting like all the, all the companies. Like everybody would say, look at this cool company and all that stuff. When behind the scenes, we kind of knew that they probably didn't have their financials right or their margins weren't right. And so like, it's almost time to get back to the hard work of helping the companies prepare for the next instead of just, Hey, you started a company. You're going to sell in five years. Right. Just go ahead do it. 
and it was so abrupt, you know, I mean, we've, you and I have been through obviously the financial crisis in 2008, even going back, we were both younger in 2000, 2001. So for younger people who haven't seen that, maybe, you know, I want, I don't want to say it's like a, a good thing, but maybe there are, you like set some resilience to learn, people will learn from this, but and unfortunately it was a really uh, tough way to learn it, I guess. Yeah. And I think that the positive still are the founders that we work with. Like everybody is still like there for everybody else. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like hmm. Oregon is unique. Like this whole state, especially the founders, I've never been, I mean, Arizona, whatever, California, like the way that I can make one coffee introduction and anybody will meet with anybody. It's crazy. And that's, it is crazy. And is that, I've been trying, I ask that question all the time when I'm doing this, what is that? Is that just in our DNA? Is it just, I know Rick, have, Rick has written about it. I've read some posts. What's the deal with that? It's a good thing ultimately, but uh, I'm just, it's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. As Rick, and I, as Rick and I always say, like the companies here are aggressively humble. And so like there is that mentality. I think that you build the trust, you build the relationships and then people like I could reach out, Hey Dan, you should talk to this person. And people are like, Oh cool. Like <laughs> Mitch sees like the, the value in doing that. So I'll do it. Right. And it never feels forced or rushed. Like people will hang out for an hour and talk to you, just hanging out. Yeah. And I think you and I have both probably met people who moved up here from the Bay area and like the, it, it kind of takes them aback because it's always like, what can I get from you? And what can you get from me? It's like, they're used to like more transactional kind of things. Right. right. And so uh, it's different here. So they're just kind of like, well, what, what is this? Uh, are they trying to get something from me or no, they generally care about you, like who you are. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, th I think there is like that. I don't know. There's that East coast mentality that could trickle a little bit more into Oregon, yeah. like the more blunt, honest, instead of like, and maybe that's kind of the reset going forward mm -hmm. instead of meeting founders and every one of them, you're like, that's an awesome idea. You should do that. Be like, you know what? That's probably not going to sell. Like in having the honest, hard conversations mm -hmm. and helping people like realize, like, I love your idea. Let's really dive in and see if this makes sense yeah. before you. That's interesting uh, point actually. And I think that would be, be really, really helpful. Um, well, a couple of things before we close, you know, we, we scheduled this a long time ago and both you and I have just like been really probably gotten <laughs> busier since this happened. Right. So I, I've been asking people, has this, like burnout wise for you personally, how has this been? Cause at first it's like, Oh cool. It's like, it makes it a little easier to connect with people, but I'm starting to get a little burnout <laughs> of just, you know, sitting locked, you know, locked away. I got two kids. I know you said you, you know, you have a young one at home too. So, um, I'm going to try to stand, like stay still for like a week or two, but it's so hard for me. I don't know how you kind of your perspective on that is. Yeah. I, th I think it's, I think everybody has the burnout. I think, zoom conferences like just talking to people on screens and stuff like that mm -hmm. the things that kind of like get me back going or anytime we have like these virtual discussions or i watch somebody else and you see like the chat or something like that and you see all the names of the people you know and they're just excited to connect mm -hmm. and so there is like that like you realize you're not alone which i think is the big kind of mental health problem right now with a lot of companies and founders especially like the ones we work with is yeah. You can't go to your office. 
you're alone, you can't hang out with your peers. And so for 24 seven, you're just in your head thinking, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to make it? And all that stuff, which is really bad from a mental health standpoint. It really is. Yeah. And it's like that constant movement and momentum too. It's, it's hard to kind of stay still for a second. I'm, I'm working on it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. But. I know it is. And I think we're to your point, I think earlier we were talking about like this human factor. Yeah. Like it is, it is kind of interesting to be on the zoom calls and, get to almost see people's lives right behind them. Yeah. Like there's no like front where you're, you're in like a fancy corporate office anymore. It's like yeah. the kid, the dogs, the cats, whatever mm-hmm. walking behind you, which I actually kind of enjoy. I really enjoy it too. And it gives people <laughs> peek into, Hey, this is what's going on, what I'm trying to manage, what you're trying to manage. So let's right. give some grace. Like I said earlier. Right. So, well, Mitch, really appreciate it. Thanks for, you know, everything you do for, for Portland and looking forward yeah. to, Sorry, it took so long. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no. Uh, looking forward to, you know, when the next, yeah, I know you do a lot of events and uh, w- when we can all do those again and meeting in person. Yeah, we're trying to think of the next festival, how to be creative about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but I think people are going to be really hungry to, to get back together. I agree. Cool. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of That Cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.